Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. So today on the Be Your Own Boss podcast, I am delighted to have John Card. Now, John has been a business journalist for 15 years, writing for titles such as The Guardian, The Telegraph and The Times. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Tell Carl. Tell us more about John. Sure. OK. So um, so I started as a journalist, yeah, uh, back in, I think, what, about 2002 was probably when my um, story began in that regard. I'd not long been out of university and probably like... All too many students, I came out of university not really knowing what I wanted to do in the world. Um, and I'm, I bounced around a few different jobs, often doing sales jobs with um, mixed results. Um, but I got to know some people at a magazine. I did a bit of advertising selling at this magazine. And I was actually on a march at the against the Iraq war. This would have been, I suppose, 2002 or thereabouts. And I was talking to the proprietor, this chap called Sam, who was of this, of this magazine company in Birmingham. And he said to me, he said, you know, you've got a degree in history and politics so maybe you should like write a column for us and I said oh yeah that sounds good and he says yeah but I think like you know I want it to be like political but not like political like private eye I think maybe more like um, political um, but more mixed with the viz he said was the idea <laughs> and so I thought I, so I said yeah I can do that I and, just uh, see this now, <laughs> <laughs> the fat slags on one side of the House oh, of Commons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Roger Medi on the other. I, I, yeah, I guess it's one of those jobs where you sort of just agree to it and then think, let's see if we can make this happen. You know, so, so anyway, I, I, I wrote this piece, um, this slightly bizarre piece about the Iraq War and whatever was going on at the time, and put it all in, and it was published in this little magazine. I can't quite remember what the name of it was, What's On Dot UK or something like that. And there was my, my words, nicely designed with, um, you know, byline etc and I just thought to myself you know wow if, if only I could get paid to do this you know it'd be so much life would be so much better and it just occurred to me I thought you know I did a few more cons and I just thought well really I've just got to be a writer and a journalist this is my way forward and so eventually I'm, I was in a house share with some mates I went back to live with my parents I went on a college course did a, an NCTJ which is the National Certificate of Trainee Journalism and that was great, you know, I did that for sort of nine months, met some good friends on there, still friends to this day. And end of the course, I would basically threw my worldly goods into my blue Ford Fiesta and rolled down to, to, to London to start off my career. Fantastic. And where did your career kick off? I kicked off at a tiny agency okay. called uh, Press Gang News, basically in the basement of this chap's house. Um, but it was, uh, and it was a, a roller coaster of 10 months or so. I wrote for almost every national newspaper in that time. Um, did all sorts of stories, some celebrity stuff, did lots of crime, sure. you know, murders, stabbings, you name it, all that sort of stuff. But after about 10, 11 months, I just realised I, I did not want to work for the tabloid press. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work for all the women's magazines that we'd been sure. writing for. Although I did quite enjoy being a more girl. That was kind of mm. fun. You know, that was good. Um, and then I answered an ad and I went along for an interview. Actually, I quit my job. Um... And then I answered an ad and did an interview at a place called Crimson Business. And there was a chap there who interviewed me called Dan Matthews. He's a business journalist still to this day. And, yeah. you know, I'm still in touch with him. And, um, and Dan gave me the job. Um, and it's just a good job he did because I'd quit my job at this point. And sure. I, I'd moved out. I had nowhere to go. <laughs> I've never actually uh, quit a job with a job to go to. I've always just quit and then found another job. Okay. I sort of have a tendency just to bail and find something you knew if I hate what I'm doing, um, which is probably why I'm better off being self-employed mm. and so um yeah 
and that started and that took me off on business journalism where sure. I've been ever since so I wrote for, so I wrote for some sites called startups.co.uk that's not owned by Crimson anymore I think it's been bought by a company called MVF and I moved on and I started working for a title called Growing Business Magazine okay uh, which is a, was a title for entrepreneurs and business owners and so that's really when I sort of really dug into this whole entrepreneurial thing yeah the entrepreneurial space and the business journalism space yeah. Um, which we will go into in more detail in a moment. But what, what I would just like to touch on, many of the listeners will have a fear of journalists. Mm. You know, they will think of a fake shake or uh, <laughs> other sting operations because that's what you hear about. Um, but actually, business journalism is not about that, is it? No, no, it really isn't. I mean, nearly all business journalism is going to be, you know, on the record, face to face or over the phone. You know, um, it's not. There's nothing. No sort of cloak and dagger involved in that um it's interesting it's funny that i mean obviously the people i write for are entrepreneurs and often the people that i i write about in the quote they've often got like ceo in the title mm. and what some a lot of these ceos are because i know them i know who they are and the sorts of people they are you know they often feel a bit nervous about talking to journalists or they or they really want to talk to journalists but don't really know how to contact them and what's funny well, they don't always realise that a lot of journalists are often quite nervous about contacting them. Yes. You know, yeah. um, you know, I've got the mobile phone numbers of numerous CEOs on my mobile, as I have many business journalists. But, you know, we don't always want to sort of ring them. We always kind of think, oh, well, are they busy? I don't want to mm. bother them, etc., etc. I mean, I've gotten over that as I've got older and I've got to know them better. But, yeah, it's a funny thing where, you know... CEOs, business owners, they're often a bit nervous, the journalists, but don't it's, believe me, the, the journalists, they're not quite the sort of tough, rough and ready it, people that you might think very, that they are. It's a very strange world of mutual dependency. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, certainly that's been my observation, and as I've got to know journalists, um, I, I've had some open up to me with you know, very similar stories, but you know, they've got phone numbers of some of the, the most powerful FDs and CEOs of FTSE 100 companies on their phone. Yeah. But... Do they want to bother them? Do they do they want to to drain that emotional bank account and and use up some of their time when actually they might really need it at some point in the future? Yeah. Um, but you're right. The entrepreneurs themselves as well are often afraid of dealing with the media or or don't know how to go about it. Mm -hmm. So I know that you run a number of courses helping entrepreneurs really shape themselves up to be in a position where they can deal with the media yeah. and to understand it a bit more. And on those courses, you probably see um, quite quite a few horror stories of where people have gone about it the wrong way or just haven't done anything. So in your eyes, John, what, what would be the key observations that you see that, uh, sorry, that entrepreneurs get wrong when dealing with journalists? Well, the reason I've got into media training so I'm spending a lot of time with entrepreneurs and I mean some entrepreneurs you know some of the things that they're doing particularly in the technology space is just mind-blowing you know some amazing people out there but a lot of these people particularly sort of the technology entrepreneurs they aren't always the best storytellers and they often struggle to define themselves to the world you know they spend a lot of time in the lab or the workshop or whatever and they don't necessarily know how to then articulate what they are in, in words that ordinary people can understand. And so what, in many ways, if you're talking to journalists, it's not so different from standing on a stage and pitching to investors. What both groups want to know is, who is this person? What do they do? Why do they do it? You know, that's the big capital Y. And you know, how is this going to make a difference to the world? And that is 
that can take some effort. Yes. Um, what I, I've been part of um, uh, a thing called Clean and Cool Mission. And it's run by a company called Stronger Stories. Um, who are good friends of mine, and they're, they're in a fantastic program which takes technology entrepreneurs in the renewable energy space out to California in a part of, and it's part of like this part trade mission, part accelerator. Okay. And so I went out there, I've been out there a couple of times, and one time we did this uh, meet the journalist type event, and all the entrepreneurs came up and they started pitching to us about what their business was, and then basically me and a couple of other journalists, we grilled them. And then we gave them feedback on how to better tell their story. And it was a really, really interesting event. And I learned something about myself and also about entrepreneurs. And I realized then that entrepreneurs often needed help in telling their stories. And I realized then that actually one of the things that I'm good at is actually digging into these stories and defining them. Mm. I think it's probably a skill which I has really helped me as a journalist over the years you know yeah. journalists have different skills some journalists are great sub-editors right I'm not yeah. one of those and my colleagues will attest some are you know real copy monsters the camera out news stories really clean again you know I'm, I'm reasonably quick but uh, prone to the odd typo here and there sure. but what I can do and I've, I think I've always been to do this is just sort of find a story define what that story is come up with a headline I'm good at headlines and then basically what I, what I describe is putting the package together. You know, this is how the story is going to work. So this is the story of the entrepreneur. Here's the kind of headline I've got. And I can just picture it with this kind of image. Yes. You know, that put that package together. And so I re- when I was talking to these technology entrepreneurs, and some of these people are like the smartest people you've ever met. You know, the sort of PhDs, inspired thinkers, serious commercial people but they weren't great storytellers no, and but they've all got a story haven't they've they? all got a story absolutely most entrepreneurs have got a story mm. um you know i always shudder slightly when an entrepreneur approaches me and say i've got a story for you you know it's kind of <laughs> these, these are words that you never want to hear it's kind yeah. of like going up to a comedian and telling me you know, here's a joke for you you know you don't this is not what you want to do but they, they do have a story and they but they don't always realize what it is um but if they define what that story is if they can answer that those questions you know who you are what you do why do you do it and how are you going to change the world then that makes them a really compelling interviewee like it's really get some start in the right place fantastic so um i i know you use the phrase chief storyteller mm-hmm. and one of the um methods of storytelling that you speak about is the hero's journey yeah do you mind sharing a little bit about the hero's journey yeah it's the hero's journey it's i came about it um, I think it was a public speaker I was interviewing for The Guardian and he was telling he'd used it with some of his clients um, The Hero's Journey it's basically it was defined by a man called Joseph Campbell okay. back in I think the 1950s if I'm not mistaken and what he'd done is he'd looked at myths and legend over centuries you know going back thousands of years and he'd found this recurring story in these different myths and legends essentially of a hero probably a slightly unlikely-looking hero, just an ordinary person, who then goes through various trials and tribulations and then ultimately you know, succeeds, often after great personal sacrifice or suffering. You know, they slay the dragon or they come back with the elixir or whatever. You know, in a way, you know, it's a bit of a David and Goliath story. You sure. know, the young sort of lad on the hills who then defeats the, the you know, undefeatable enemy, you know, defeats Goliath. And it was an, he put it on to me like that. And when I, when I was starting to think about over my career, you know, the interviews that I'd done with different people and the stories that I'd written about entrepreneurs, it occurred to me that actually the way that the, a lot of these entrepreneurs tell their stories 
fits this story arc, this mm. hero's journey story arc. Now, the most famous example of the hero's journey, probably, is the film Star Wars. Sure. And I believe that George Lucas was actually a student of Joseph Campbell's. Okay. So Joseph Campbell, you know, probably didn't get anywhere near that much credit, but George Lucas, you know, he took this story arc and the story of Luke Skywalker, of this lad on Tatooine, you know, it doesn't look like he's about to defeat you know, the evil Galactic Empire. He has this sort of epiphany, he discovers the Force. At first, he doesn't want to do it, there's a refusal. He meets people like Han Solo and say, hey, there's nothing, no such Force as, you know, nothing's, there's no such thing as the Force Kid. Eventually crosses the threshold, you know, gets onto the Millennium Falcon, flies into space and fights the enemy and so on. And entrepreneurial stories can fit that kind of model. Mm. You know, it could be a, an entrepreneur was sort of, you know, walking around a supermarket and then realised, you know, why do the products always have to be like that? Surely it's a better way. And they have this idea, this big idea. And people say to them, oh, come on, they would have thought of that already, wouldn't they? You know, you, what do you know about this, you know? You, 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 someone else would have come up with that idea, but eventually they do it, and eventually they, you know, they quit their job mm. and they launch their new business. But of course, it's not always going to be plain sailing. No, you know, the powers that be don't want this new upstart coming in this and shaking things up, and various enemies in society and the supermarkets, and That's, yeah, and also the friends and family saying get a real job yeah the friends and family they, they can be you know very cynical you know they can sort of say come on why are you quitting your well paid job mm. in accountancy or advertising or you're, you're you know what do you know about software in the cloud you know you're a doctor you know or something like that and, and so they have to go they have to overcome these cynics but sometimes the cynics can be the people that turn into your best supporters sure just like in Star Wars you know you can convert these people but ultimately you know entrepreneurs they have to sort of define what their enemy is. I mean, what are they trying to change in the world? You know, it doesn't have to be a, a supermarket or Coca-Cola, or, but it could be you know, a thing. It could be pollution, or it could be traffic jams, or it could be you know, low-quality nursery care for your kids, whatever it is. But it's a, yeah, and so when you look at the entrepreneurial stories of people like Richard Branson or Steve Jobs or Anita Roddick or some people like that, you know, they all kind of often tell this story of, how they started in humble beginnings, mm. set off on their business journey. So I was actually going to ask, doing um, a specific example to this, from what you've seen, which entrepreneur would you say that the listeners should look into and really take some inspiration if they're looking to to create their own journey? Mm. I mean, there's lots of different ones. I mean, you know, I mean, I use Innocent Drinks and Richard Reed sure. did you know, use this story arc to, to great effect in telling their story. Um, I kind of, I don't know, because I, when, I, when I interviewed him years ago, I didn't know about the hero's journey at the time. Sure. Uh, but I still remember the interview. He, he had a good yep. story, but I think he probably did. I think he's quite a well-educated guy, yeah. so I think he probably did know. And, you know, you look at the innocent story, it kind of starts with Richard in a juice bar thinking, you know, why can't I get this kind of thing in a supermarket? And then, you know, they had this thing where, him and his co-founders, they set up a stall at a fair and asked the public to vote whether they should quit their jobs. So that was them crossing the threshold. And of course, you know, they're batting against you know, concentrated fruit juices. They want to make healthier, better juices, yes. etc. And so on. That was their kind of that was their story. And I think it was very compelling. And I think it, um, I, I know a lot of journalists who really bought into it, you know, got very excited by it. Yeah. And I say, I still remember the story. So that, that'd be a good one. Um, but there's many others, you know, I mean, look at all of the big guys, you know, the Bransons, Anita Roddick, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, 
Bill Gates, all of them, you know, kind of tell these kind of stories. Yes. These, these, that sort of story arc. And you have a new job title for them, the chief storyteller. The chief storyteller, yeah. Well, the I think that you know, the media industry is very fractured at the moment. Mm. Um, there's so much stuff going on. But the one thing which will remain a constant is the need to tell good stories. And so every entrepreneur needs to recognise that their one of their big roles, their, one of their chief roles, is to be the storyteller for their company. Yes. They have to tell the world, you know, their own personal story, and you know, and the company that surrounds them now as a result of that story. Um, you know, I always say to people, you, you can't appoint a head of PR. That's not possible. That's you. You know, mm. the CEO is the head of PR. Sure, you can have, you know, writers beneath you and managers beneath you. You can create a team around you, of course. But but ultimately, you know, you're kind of you're the focus for journalists. That has to be the role. So um, I've I've referred to it in the past as flag waver. Um, and I know in the states, but they have a job title, chief evangelist. Interesting. But it's the, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's being yeah. the one who lives and breathes and bleeds the brand. You have to really, if you're the CEO. Um, you know, I've advised some companies recently, and I, this one, I won't mention much about them, but um, there's this company, and I thought they were they were a fantastic business, um, really, really interesting. And the guy said to me, well, we've done interviews, but no coverage has happened. And so we dug into it, and then I suddenly asked him, who's actually been doing the interviews here? Mm. And it turned out it was him, and he was a sales manager. And I said, your story's good, but you're not the storyteller. Yes. You need to get your CEO to do these stories. Yes. You, you can aid the press. You can send them copy. You can set up the interviews. You can tell them all about your business. But ultimately, when the journalist wants to write a story, they want to write CEO of this company mm. and write their story. Mm. That's what you've got and to do. do. You know, funnily, funnily enough, um, I, won't, I won't share names or the name of the business, but I completely understand why they did what they did. They sure. restarted the company with a new founder. Um, so mm. that journalists could speak to the founder. Right, yes, okay. Uh, rather yeah. than an employee. Um, yeah. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. And it makes sense logically that the journalists do want to speak to the person who's the one driving it forwards. Yeah, you, well, you've got, you've got to speak to the boss. Yes. Um, you know, there's sometimes Microsoft's press office phones me up and sort of says, you know, oh, would you like to do an interview? And I'm so sure it's Bill available. And, you know, they, <laughs> they, always, they always think, oh, no, not really, John. I'm, well, sure um, you, I'm sure you've interviewed Bill several times. Uh, well, he's, he's, on my, he's on my speed dial, of course. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, but, yeah, yeah you, want to talk to, you, know, you want to talk to the boss because they, they speak for the company. So in terms of the bosses you've speak, spoken to, um, mm-hmm. any names that you can share of particularly memorable interviews? Um, I mean... I mean, I went when we, I started as a business journalist. Um, this whole entrepreneurial thing was really starting to get going with the media, um, and because I, until sort of the turn of the century, or maybe a little bit after, in some publications, business journalists basically spoke to CEOs of FTSE 100 companies, sure. and the idea of talking to entrepreneurs um, was something which um, some smaller publishers realised was actually a good idea and the newspapers caught up later and so um, so we, we started obviously you know we started looking for some of the big names and you know we, I went through all the Dragon's Den people I mean I, I had a, a lovely conversation with Duncan Bannertine in his, okay. in his place in central London and we had a, had a cup of tea and had a good old chat and you know it was, it was, a, that was, a, it was a nice interview that was great um, lots of people but I think some of the, the the big names are great, um, but I think some of the ones that really excite me are the ones who 
they aren't always the best storytellers, but sometimes they, they, they're doing something which you think, wow, I just really hope this mm. business succeeds. Um, particularly, you know, in the environmental technology space and things like that, you know, you really kind of want um, some of these companies to do well. I mean, there's a an Italian inventor called Julian Melchiori, if I pronounce his name right, his, his company's called Arborea, and he's basically created, well, he's essentially a solar panel but filled with microalgae okay which extracts carbon from the atmosphere and just converts it into water and biomass wow and so it's like please you know we are looking at a serious issue with climate mm. change and here's this guy who can potentially uh, reverse that and it's hard not to make a story out of that as well he, he, the story practically wrote itself i mean he was pitching on a stage and it was talking about these bionic trees he was going to invent and these bionic trees could perform photosynthesis sort of like you know, a thousand times more effectively than a tree. Okay. And I was just like, you know, after we finished sort of running towards him, you know, tell me you have a picture of a bionic tree. I want to see <laughs> a bionic tree yes. straight away. And it turned out he had a, an installation model in the V&A coming up, a bionic chandelier. And I pitched that one to the Times and you know newspapers do not always send photographers out you know but for a bionic chandelier they did and we got a great picture of julian his bionic chandelier the startup is trying to save the world and you know and that's kind of and those sorts of stories you know you, you really want to do so and um, that leads me on quite nicely um i want to talk about press releases and what makes mm. a good press release and a bad press release because okay. often as business owners what yeah. we want to say is not what people want to read yeah um you know we have to be honest about that but one of the key things obviously pictures um mm. what tips would you give business owners in terms of coming up with a bank of assets should they want to pursue pr sure um i was to say that you know a story is a package and if you've ever published anything on anything like wordpress or even linkedin then that will help you because the first thing is you know you have to you have to write a headline mm. and so what's the headline you know and well, the headline reflects the story. So actually, is there a story here? Sure. Um, sometimes entrepreneurs get very excited because, you know, this has been their best March ever or their best May ever, you know, sales up 6% or whatever. And I'm delighted for them, really, so I am. What? But who cares? Yeah. You know, it's just not very interesting, you know. Um, and so there has to be a story. There has to be something which is kind of different going on something which is a bit unusual or some kind of juxtaposition or a big announcement you know it could be if you, your business has just got 250 grand you know it's not the most exciting story in the world but it's newsworthy you know sure. startup gets investment you know if you just struck a big deal with microsoft or something like that great you know why not put a release out there some outlets will probably cover it and so you have to realize there's a story and you have to realize that the story has to be interesting to an audience not yes. just interesting to you you know or sort of makes you look good so that's one of the, the key things um you have to put together some kind of headline i always say to you know if you are writing a press release look at your headlines uh, my i have a folder called pr fail okay where i just put sort of bad press releases in and headlines are often you know one of the, the, the things which is terrible you sure. know because they, they often massacre the story before it's even begun headlines should they're not easy to write I've, I've i've always been able to do them but generally speaking you're talking about recognizable words often i think some of the languages i would say a little bit old testament you know lots mm. of vows pledges fights that kind of thing i got a press release of a company of oh, ages ago something about a company is now facilitating Python on their new platform or something like that. Okay. You know, facilitating, you know, that's not... Yeah. That, 
God doesn't facilitate things in the Old Testament. You know, he, he vows, pledges, fights. He does it. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and a Python, well, you, know, you probably know it's a computer language. Yes. But really speaking, if Python is in your headline, I'm thinking of a great big snake. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, the, these are not uh, sort of good examples of headlines. But, but one of the things, the two things, but journalists can write headlines, okay, and they can turn stories around, but there's certain things which they can't have any control of. One of the simplest ways to massacre a good story is to make the quotes just horrible okay and so what you read in most press releases and i've, I've probably got one on my phone even coming in right now in the so frequent can, can i guess it's can, can i can i guess the typical quote that you get go on and tell you mr smith was delighted with the financial performance of his company this year yeah it's often yeah the deal no, where no facts mm. um a little bit salesy but salesy nothing you can really get from it it's salesy and marketing and um it's kind of what it is so yeah yeah we're thrilled and delighted to announce that uh we'll you know this new partnership which is going to transform the ecosystem Mm. and you know position us as the innovative number one supplier blah 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 you know and it's just it's just horrible pardon my french bullshit bingo yeah (laughs) see what we say to the entrepreneurs it's like you know if you think about a news story, the quotes are often the part of the story that you read the fastest and the yes. most interesting. When you read a book, the dialogue is often the speediest part mm. because it's, it's the, hu- uh, the, the sound of human voices. So these, the quotes that are going to a lot of press releases are not the sounds of human voices. Mm. You know, unless our you know, marketing director or CEO goes home and his wife says, oh, you know, how was your day, darling? And he says, well, I'm thrilled and delighted to announce that, you know, that's not how people speak. Yeah, so, so an interesting point I want to pick up on there, if I may. Um, I, I've done a fair few press interviews in my time, and some of them have been by email, some of them by phone. Yeah. From the other side of a desk... Do you notice that there's a difference in the way that quotes are delivered based on whether it's a, a face-to-face or telephone interview versus email or... Yeah, I mean, some people... I mean, when people uh, send you an email with quotes, they probably are a little bit more uh, considered about it mm-hmm. or maybe a bit more sort of deliberate. Um, at the same time, you know, when you actually, if you actually transcribe what someone says in an interview typically speaking actually doesn't make very much sense sure. you know it's just sort of split infinitives and half sentences and you you often sort of think oh yeah they answered that question really well and they actually write down what their quote was and it's just gibberish almost and <laughs> and i think you know sometimes uh, i'm not i've obviously never done this myself but sometimes journalists kind of join the dots a little bit yes. when, when they do an interview and i think you know I don't think entrepreneurs really mind too much um, as long as you know it's in context. Absolutely, um, I think that's that's probably um, not going to upset anyone too much. I've never had any, anyone complain about that as long as you know you get the context of it right. And let's broadly speaking, that was their point of view. Then that's fine. And so, um, but yeah, there, there are differences. I mean, this is the thing with um, the way media is going now in the digital age because journalists are so time strapped. They often like it when entrepreneurs will send them an email with good quotes, mm. and because they can then obviously take that and cut and paste it. They, yes. don't, they don't have to like then interview someone and transcribe it and then pick out the best quotes. You know, they can sort of just take something off an email. Absolutely, and it covers them as well in Legal- case of any misunderstanding. Legally, they're covered too. Yeah. So um, I want to stick on questions for a little bit, mm. um, but then it would be nice just to touch on how the media is changing and how that affects entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, 
But questioning is obviously a key part of what you do as a journalist. Yeah. Is there any tips that you can give business owners, entrepreneurs in their own questioning skills Mm. that might help them close a deal or um, might help them motivate an employee? What what tips would you give them? Well, I think interviews, um, I mean, most journalists aren't terribly well trained. You know, we often learn on the job. And I guess, you know, um, I've spent a lot of time sort of thinking about, you know, how do I interview people more effectively, etc. And I think, you know, when you there's two things to really get right firstly you want your interviewee to be talking doing yes. most of the talking and that typically means that you have to sort of keep your mouth shut and listen and let them going but you need to get them talking and, and the way you don't do it is the way that you see lots of people on tv and radio doing it, where you've got people like you know the paxman or john mm-hmm. humphreys or you know parkinson or jonathan ross where they're kind of either sort of, you know, challenging people too much, they're being very aggressive or they're interrupting a lot, you know, what you really want to do is just sort of get them comfortable and start sure. talking to them. So if you, let's say you had someone come into an interview, an interview, you know, the first thing you do is just tell them a little bit about yourself, tell them sort of, you know, what's going on, let them know the score, and it's exactly what I do with an, an interviewee, you know, I tell them my name, tell them what I'm writing about, what I'm interested in, etc. you know, it's all, so, most business journalism, it's just... Yeah. Rapport building, um, a little bit of building rapport. that human to human connection. Yeah, just just get them comfortable to talking sure. to you, so they kind of know who they're talking to. And then what I tend to do with entrepreneurs is I, I ask them what uh, is hopefully a really simple question for them to answer, which is usually, "Tell me about your business," you know, because most entrepreneurs can answer that question. Yes. Tell me about your business. And some do it in a you know, thirty seconds, some in a minute, and some you know you kind of have to interrupt after about five minutes because they're still just talking away, you know. Sure. But that usually gets them going. And then once you've got them going, then you can start asking them slightly more detailed questions, slightly more closed questions, and start picking out the bits and pieces. Um, if you're going to ask them anything which you think might make them uncomfortable, you tend to save that towards the end. Yes. Um, I do most of my interviews via telephone if I'm speaking to someone. Um, and I, I take down notes in shorthand while I'm doing it. And what I've realized is, kind of by accident, is that because I'm scribbling things down in shorthand, I often don't immediately sort of um, start asking the next question as soon as they finish talking. So sometimes they, they, they feel the need to fill up that blank space and keep on and talking. that's the best stuff, isn't it? And in that come, that often they want to say more <laughs> and more. Um, the, the other thing, I mean, is the, the, what they, you call the Columbo question, where you tell them the interview's over, and then you suddenly realize, oh, just one more thing. Mm. And then suddenly they're so much better, they're so much better prepared to speak. Because generally speaking, interviewees, they get better and better as the interview goes along. Yes. They get warmed up, they become more conversational. And so the first 10 minutes can be a, bit, a little bit tight. And then they loosen up. And then just towards the end, the guard's dropped. And then they're just being themselves. Fantastic. John, listen, you've just given a playbook for consultants. Great. <laughs> a for salespeople. Yeah. Yeah, really simple, isn't it? Build rapport. Yeah, build some rapport. Um, start getting whoever it is you're dealing with to speak on their terms. Yeah. Then ask for more detailed questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the skills that you're using as a journalist, actually, 99% of the listeners here could use those skills in some way, shape, or form. I think I would suggest to business owners, try using that kind of technique in an interview. Mm. Yeah, if you're looking most entrepreneurs tell me that they they really struggle to recruit good people yeah you know um and i think that there's lots of different problems i think that certain personality types thrive in interviews i think confident sort of people can go in an interview they can 
build a rapport real quick and they can sort of own the interview and that and the interviewee says yeah that's a good person i'm going to hire that person mm. well often people who are a bit more sensitive quieter conscientious people they get very nervous in interviews sure. they, they clam up and they sometimes say things which they don't really mean and if you have an interviewer who thinks that you know, the way that the people on The Apprentice do interviews is the way to go about it. They think, I'm going to ask this person some tough questions here. Then all they're doing really is placing a filter through which only certain personality types, extrovert personality types usually, or very resilient personality yes. types, are going to slip through. Or, and that might not be the right person for your business. Yeah, or those who prefer to perhaps fabricate a story as well. Indeed, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, your, your cold-blooded psychopath will have no trouble with the most aggressive <laughs> interview on earth, whereas, you know, the, the highly moralistic and conscientious person um, might very well like, fall out of the process. And you probably want, you know, of the two, which do you want? Do you want you know, braggadocios and extroverts and narcissists? Or do you want, you know, quiet, conscientious, hard-working people, you know? Completely. So I'm going to ask you one last question or, or one last, uh, we'll focus on one last topic before going into our rapid-fire questions, mm. which is just picking up on what you mentioned before about the state of the media today. Yeah. Um, obviously, lots lots and lots is changing. You, I, I know for myself, I don't go and buy newspapers anymore. Yeah. How do you see the world changing? I mean, the the media landscape is, is, is fractured and I think that actually the, you know, the publishing model for most newspapers is just simply broken uh, I don't think it works very well at all um, m- many newspaper groups not just in the UK but all across the western world are in you know, quite dire financial trouble um, and you know, the numbers of journalists in the UK and recent government reports said has fallen by one in four. Really, which is you know twenty five percent of journalists is insane. You know that sort of drop is just um, is crazy, really. Um, and so, but at the same time, you know people still want media. You know mm. we all sort of walk around with smartphones, just you know, we're shooting all out now, aren't we? Yeah, well, people are publishing their own, and obviously you know what twenty four hour news going on, mm. and so. There's this sort of real incongruence in the sector where the, you know, the public want news, information, the content. The business model just can't really pay for that content. Sure. Because it's just it's, the online advertising model is just not bringing in anywhere near enough money. And payables don't seem to be successful. They're, they're struggling, um, I think. In, ter- in yeah. terms of what a business owner can take away and perhaps adapt what they're yeah. doing to fit the new model... Um, what changes would you suggest that a business mm. owner should make in respect of their PR strategy? Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs go out and sort of hire a PR agency, and but you know what PRs would admit, as I say, is that um, it's getting harder and harder because there's fewer and fewer journalists sure. to chase. You know, they they can't sort of get those relationships going as they might have done sort of a decade ago. It's much much harder for them, and so I think that entrepreneurs. They also need to recognise that journalists don't have much time. Mm. Um, and also journalists don't really have any money. Yeah. Um, and so they need to get their stories, right? They need to be, you know, kind of good interviewees. They need to understand their role in helping a journalist to do their job as quickly as possible. Um, and that's a key thing. And I think that they, you know, they need to build those relationships with the journalists, probably, and take more action to do that directly. Yes. Um and um, I'm working on ideas, and I'm not quite ready to reveal them, but they're coming. Sure. Where we're hoping to sort of make it so we can basically we can get journalists into rooms with entrepreneurs more frequently and find a way to actually monetize it. Fantastic. Find a way to actually get that, some cash into their pockets. 
so that leads me on to um, just a final question I'd like to ask. It was something that was actually raised on a LinkedIn post of yours, mm-hmm. um, and it's something I think I know the answer to. But as a journalist, who do you prefer dealing with, the entrepreneur or the PR? Yeah, I mean, you much. I mean, it's much more rewarding, obviously, to have uh, a good relationship with an entrepreneur. It's much more exciting. You get to know them really well. You know, I'm in. I'm fortunate enough that I'm in a few networks where I'm on WhatsApp groups Shocking. with groups of entrepreneurs. You know, and that's just fantastic. You know, I can reach out to them. I can hear about their struggles along the way. It gives me such insight into that. You have to obviously build that trust with them so they can actually feel they can speak to you in that sort of way. But, yeah, I mean, there's nothing better. I mean, and also when you're on deadline, you know, um, Sophie Devonshire, who, you know, we both know, um, she's the CEO of Caffeine Partnership, you know. She's the sort of person that I can fire out a LinkedIn message to and you know five minutes later she's just hammered out a great reply full of quotes and things that i can take to put into my article you know that sort of relationship yes. so when you've got that relationship with with entrepreneurs it's it's, it's really really useful and just I'd say more rewarding it's kind of more fun as well fantastic so john we're going to move on to the rapid fire questions well, here we go i could ask you so much and i'm actually going to bundle up one of the questions that would typically be in the main interview into the rapid fire okay uh, but let's start what is one thing that people don't know about you? Oh gosh, what's one thing that people don't know about me? Uh... Yeah, sorry, you've really stumped me there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there's something. Yeah, this is one of those questions that I sometimes ask people, and they get stumped as well. What do they, what do they not know about me? Um... Can I try the next one? Come back to that. Sorry. Yeah, of course. Of course. We'll <laughs> you come, come back to that. So how yeah. about I ask the question that I would have asked in the main interview. Okay. Whilst you... Yeah, this is one <laughs> that you'll be able to reel off without... You'll be blindfolded without even thinking about it. So really, you can you can reel this one off while thinking about the other one. Yeah. Deal? Go for it. Yeah, go on. Excellent. So what three tips would you give an entrepreneur who is looking to improve their press profile insofar as how they yeah. deal with journalists sure okay first off get a photo shoot sure you know get a pic you need pictures of yourself don't try and engage with the media until you've got a photo shoot i would suggest you get a professional photographer who's had their work published in the national press and you look to do a photo shoot which is um, illustrative of what you do. Sure. If you've got a product, put it in the shot. It will work. And often that will get published. Yeah. So that's the main thing. You've got to work on your story. Sure. You've got to work on your story. Um, you need to be able to tell people in 30 seconds flat who you are, what you do, why you do it, and how you're going to change the world. Sure. That's absolutely key. Find some journalists. Find some that you know. And if you don't know any at all, pay them or you, offer them to take them out for lunch or something you, just just you, you get guys some. don't buy it do you no no they're fine I just, mean, I'm, just... I'm more than happy to share how i first met a journalist i um i looked up journalist events yep there was a meet the journalist event okay i turned up perfect okay. really simple there was five journalists um editor of the sunday times at the time and mm-hmm. she's now left editor of enterprise editor of the times um enterprise editor of the daily telegraph business editor of ipaper yeah. and um Matthew for Management Today. Great stuff. Which so is a great table of people to yeah, meet. Absolutely. For fifty quid or whatever the cost of a ticket was. Yeah, which is and yeah, I mean journalists are public people, they're often doing events. They're usually on social media, you know, they are uh, findable. Yes. And you start building a list. So yeah, get get your story straight, get some pictures, find some journalists, 
have a chat with them and um, ask them ask them a few questions about their job as well. You, you know, journalists are only too happy to wax lyrical about life in media land. Yes. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't take that much to get them started. Brilliant. So you didn't escape that question? Yes. The real one we want to know. <laughs> what is one thing about John that no one else knows? Um, I... I was the um, the Jubilee baby for Galway Close in Birmingham. Really? Yeah, I was. Uh, they wrapped me up in a Union Jack when I was like about three months old to Fantastic. celebrate Her Majesty's Silver Jubilee. And you know, I'm <laughs> going to ask this: Did you get press coverage? Yeah. Boom. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the first time that's the that's the, the first time I was ever featured in the press was uh, in the Birmingham Evening Mail. Okay. And there's a picture of me. I was about five years old, and I was standing next to a Christmas tree. There was a photographer down there, and my dad was buying the tree, and came across and sort of said, take a picture of the, the nipper with the tree or something like that, and snap, snap, didn't even know what he was doing. The next day, there was my face on the Birmingham Evening Mail. Maybe, maybe that, was my, that was my first uh, insight and move into media. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Um, John, next one. If you could have a mastermind group with three other people, mm. so dead or alive, fictional, non-fictional, wow, um, okay. whoever, whoever you want. Yeah. Um... I did history and politics at university, and I spent quite a lot of time um, studying Abraham Lincoln. Okay. So I think I'll probably put Abraham Lincoln in there. Do you know, I would always have a politician. Yeah. And funnily enough, I would probably go, even though they actually, I'm happy to share, they both go against my political views, I would go with Jeremy Corbyn or Donald Trump. (laughs) For the way that they've inspired mass movements with a nonsensical message. Indeed. Well... (laughs) Um, but no, I, I think the political lead, we've got a lot to learn from political leaders. Yeah, yeah, I think I have a political leader in there. That would be that would be fantastic. Um, who else would I put in there? You know, I'd love to have a really good conversation with Mick Jagger. Okay. Because he is quite elusive. You know, he actually doesn't really, he doesn't, you know, the interviews he does, he doesn't really say that much about himself. People write loads about him. Sure. But he's actually sort of always kept a lot back. Okay. So I'd, I'd love to sort of, dig under there a little bit and find out what's going on in his mind that would be fantastic yeah. that would be really good and your third one and my third and final one who would I really like to um, to, to have a great chat with um, I'm thinking maybe one of the chefs I, I, I love cookery and, okay. um, I enjoy and so you know probably have a Oh, maybe um, Marco Pierre White or someone like that, yeah. yeah. Or maybe Michelle Rue, maybe, yeah. Have a, have, a, have a masterclass session with them, that could be pretty good. Excellent. What's the best purchase you've made for around 50 quid or less over the last, let's Ooh, say, last year? Um, let me think. The last thing I bought for about 50 quid, um, there was a very good deal going on fence panels. Okay. Yeah, sixteen pounds seventy. So yeah, three of those would be fifty pounds and ten pence. So that's transformed your life. That, that, well, when your fence was broken, <laughs> I was looking at that broken fence and I had to fix it myself. Yeah, excellent. Fifty quid. Can't think of anything else. For fifty. Where should you buy for fifty quid well, these it, days? Not many things are fifty quid. Everything's like either cheap or, or is there an app that you use? Or, fifty quid or, or less for fifty quid. Fifty I, quid or less. I can't think of many things I bought for fifty quid other than um, fence panels. Yeah, fifty uh, quid or less. Or less. Or less. Yes. Oh. Um, so it could be as simple as a, a 99p app on the App Store that's, um, mm. that's transformed the way you do what you do. Yeah. Um, or it could be fence panels. It's up to you. Fence panels I like. <laughs> if you don't like fence panels, I thought that was great. Um, I think one of the things I, I've really got into recently, I quite like voice recognition software. Okay. And I have spent a little bit of money on um, some different products there. Because so, I, 
Um, I like to talk and to and mm. see my words appear on screen. Have you found one that works with a Birmingham accent? Yeah, I just have, I have to speak posh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've bought some voice recognition software. That's been that's good. That's worthwhile. Anyone giving a go at? I think it's the future. I think we'll all be doing it soon. Fantastic. And the final one: What book is the book that you've recommended to the most people to read? Oh, that's good. Again, it could be fiction, non-fiction. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a few. Let me think. I always have a book on the go. So there's a, there's a, I mean, there's a couple I'm happy to mention. Um, I mean, Casper Craven's Where the Magic Happens. Yeah. You know, the story of a man and his wife who sailed around the world with their, with their three kids. A phenomenal story, um, isn't it? It's a great story, but also the fact that, you know, the way he relates it to the way he changed his life mm. and his work as an entrepreneur is great. Um, I've just started reading um, Superfast by okay. Sophie Devonshire and um, that's a brilliant book uh, not least because I'm mentioned in it so that's great um, in terms of what other novels do I read I mean I I read loads of novels too um, you know I think everybody should read some John le Carre at some point um, and a bit of Charles Bukowski too uh, that's always uh, a, a good one um, I'm trying to think what would be my favourite one Actually, probably, if I was to pick one book for anyone, I'd say Number 11 by an author called Jonathan Coe. Number 11. Excellent. So we'll make sure that there's a link to that in the show notes as well, as well as Catherine and Sophie's books. Fantastic. Um, That's great. John, it's been a real pleasure. Before we sign off, could you please just let the listeners know where they can um, find out more about you and possibly connect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me a number of ways. I mean, if you type John Card, that's J-O-N-C-A-R-D into Google, um, I generally come up fairly near the top. Um, there's the, a chap who runs the, I think it's the Imperial War Museum, and there's a, a Canadian punk drummer who's in some band with an unspeakable name, uh, which is not me. So I'm John Card, the business journalist. You can find me on Twitter, or my company's called Full Story Media. You can find us on there, or you can find us on LinkedIn. Fantastic. John, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Carl. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.